Hey everyone, me Kevin here. I was hoping I would not see the day that I had to make this video for course members for at least 10 years. Unfortunately, the time may be now. It is once again time to talk about the macroeconomic cycle, the business cycle, the real estate cycle. And folks, this is how we are going to connect the psychology of money, the psychology of buying the dip, the broken sell button to macroeconomic cycles. So that way you graduate to the next level of understanding personal finance and building your wealth. It is so critical to understand market cycles. And this video is not designed to encourage you to change your strategies, to buy the dip or to sell. This video is designed to show you how to prepare for changing market cycles and to provide a reason for the confusion that can happen at different points in the cycle. But first, I want you to know that the very first thing that I did when I became a real estate agent during the last crash was I created a graphic for this right here. This is my graphic the real estate cycle. <laughs> and while looking back, there's so much more detail I could throw in this and there's so much more I could do. I want to pay homage to the fact that when I entered in the bottom of the market, dealing with the disasters of short sales and foreclosures and seeing the pain of excess debt, which is a problem that we have in our country right now, I created this and I actually printed it out. Uh, and I had uh, a, a picture frame uh, with the real estate cycle, this on it on uh, on a canvas. So it looked like a piece of art and I would bring it with me when I was talking to buyers or sellers and I would explain to them where I believed we were in the market cycle and why I would use this as a tool for talking about uh, the fears of the double dip recession, uh, which or the, the shadow inventory of foreclosures that were coming up. And the same thing that I do on YouTube now or in the programs is the same thing that I used to do in the coffee shop with clients, which is providing facts, data and statistics to back up my points rather than just emotions, which we have to talk about emotions. Emotions are very, very important. So let me give a quick explanation of this. It, it, this is an oversimplified explanation of the real estate cycle. Essentially, the real estate cycle uh, back in 2010, 2011, 2009 uh, was, was clearly in, in this area where we had experienced declining price, rent and a new construction. We clearly had, had noticed this. And what I would do on a daily basis is I would track inventory numbers. And what was fascinating was housing inventory in uh, the city that I live in went from about 400 150 homes on the market, which is a massive amount. Normal market, by the way, has about 200 homes on the market. We went from about 450 homes on the market where somebody would come to me and say, hey, I'm looking for a three bedroom, two bath in this particular part of town. And uh, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, here's your list of 20 of them. You know, we should probably narrow the list down to the top five that look good based on the pictures. <laughs> we don't have to go to 20 of them and get overwhelmed, right? It was crazy. It was really, really crazy times because there was so much and, and people were always wondering like, oh, but Kevin, I'm, I'm worried. What if prices go down more? And it's like, well, look at where we are in the real estate cycle. According to the real estate cycle, we pretty much are at the bottom, especially since what happened in 2010, actually probably more towards 2011, what started happening? We started seeing that housing inventory number towards the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, start rotating down fast. We went from 450 homes on the market to 300 homes on the market. Boom, like that. We actually ended up at the beginning of 2013 with just 80 
homes on the market, which was insane. We had this crazy, crazy uh, shift in the market, but we could watch this happen week after week after week for about a year and a half because the real estate market moves a little slower. And so we were clearly in the absorption of excess supply phase where it's like, oh, so much supply and all of a sudden that's dwindling. Uh, and so when uh, March and April of 2013 came around, we actually ended up seeing prices jump 20% in the matter of two months. But we saw that coming for a year and a half because of this absorption of excess supply, right? Okay, good. So supply started getting absorbed. We got into a tighter market. Uh, it became a lot easier to rent properties out. And then prices started skyrocketing. Uh, they, they have increased very well over the past uh, probably, well, I would say from 2011 to about 2019. Prices uh, increased quite normally and, and substantially. But we've gone into this, this more almost exponential phase. Let me use a little bit of a better graphic than using uh, just a circle here. We've kind of done a little bit of this with pricing where uh, we hit our bottom here in 2011, started rotating up. This right here is where you saw housing inventory go from about that uh, 450 number to uh, you know 200, well 300, 200, right? And then all the way down to 80. So we saw this, it got so low, we got to this point where folks were like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make money as a real estate agent? There's nothing to sell. Uh, and what happened? Prices jumped substantially, about 20%. And then we continued on. The real estate market relatively did this. But now, since the pandemic, we've really done this. Uh, and going back to the real estate cycle, usually when you get to this sort of euphoric uh, stage, this, this excessive runaway stage, uh, you tend to increase new construction as much as possible to, to produce more homes for people where they want to live because the prices are so high, the margins are so good. This is why Lennar and KB Homes are killing it and they're producing more, more properties uh, or, or, or you know, building and planning new properties like crazy to bring these to the market. Uh, the, the issue then becomes twofold. What happens towards the top of the real estate market? Well, as the real estate market starts potentially peaking, interest rates tend to go up uh, to, to quell excessive growth. And when rates go up, especially mortgage rates, uh, we know that real estate prices can come down uh, about uh, 10x the interest rate increase. So for example, if our market is expanding at let's say 10% per year and interest rates go up 0.6% like they just did, then uh, we would see a negative 6% headwind to real estate prices, but a positive 10% momentum movement, right? Uh, of, of prices going up. And so now we're net 4% growth. But that can also end negative if all of a sudden we're like, oh, prices aren't going up that much. Oh, it's getting a little, it's getting a little expensive to go shopping again. Oh, the stock market's getting a little funky. Uh-oh, uh-oh, right? And all of a sudden, euphoria can very quickly turn into oversupply. And all it takes is a handful of investors who own a lot of properties to start flooding the market. And it can happen very, very quickly with properties to start quickly dampening demand for housing. And all of it has to do with fear psychology. So we gotta talk about that. See, fear psychology applies to the stock market as well. Generally, what we wanna do is buy the dip, but we have to overlay cycles. If we look at the cycle, the best times obviously to buy the dip, and I told my clients this a lot, all the, I, I would always draw a line here, I'm like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna try to time the market, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be right down here in the middle. But ideally, 
try to buy the bottom half. <laughs> and usually the bottom half is, is uh, you know, we, we know when the bottom half is happening because we start seeing indicators decline at a less rapid pace or we start rotating. I think when folks hear, oh my gosh, someone's trying to time the macro economy. The thought is you're perfectly trying to get out at the tippy top and perfectly trying to get out of the bottom. That's next to impossible, right? That, that's not gonna happen. Just like trying to predict what earnings are going to do, next to impossible. Just like trying to predict whether Bitcoin Bitcoin's going to be at 50,000 next week or it's going to be at 20,000 next week. Who freaking knows? Nobody knows on that short term. You could use technical analysis to help guide you, but we all know you could have breaks. There's breakups or breakdowns, right? Technicals could falter. So we, we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball, but we do know macroeconomic cycles and we know that things change. But Let's understand the psychology of what happens when things change. And this is critical. This is absolutely critical. And we're also going to talk about uh, whether whether you should actually do anything. Okay, hold on. Uh, we're going to Google this thing. It's called the uh, Cell Excel uh, image <laughs> for, for the stock market. And uh, this this is quite, quite powerful. This is a pretty popular cartoon. And uh, here it is. So the psychology of markets is that when things are really doing well, every, everybody's buying, everybody's happy, and when we get our first dips, we're, we're, you know, we have little corrections in the market. Like, let me speak a little bit towards towards example here. We have uh, the uh, pre-election dip. We have the February and May dip of 2021, the election dip of 2020, right? Those dips, these are things that we can buy the dip on and the reason we can buy the dip on this is because of the Federal Reserve blowing wind at our back and supporting us. We have an accommodative Congress. We have a, an accommodative Fed. And there are no massive red flags that indicate we're at the top of a cycle. Now, we'll talk more about being at potentially at the top of the cycle, but let's quickly understand psychology. And, and why do we feel emotional when, when things turn, right? Where does that emotion come from? So uh, this, this cartoon essentially starts out with, hey, I've got a stock here that could really excel. And somebody hears uh, excel, oh, I wonder what could excel. You know, the curiosity. When somebody says something new, it creates sometimes shock or curiosity. Like, huh, what? They're doing what? Huh? That's, that's kind of this face here, uh, which in my opinion, uh, it would be an example of, let's say somebody who is regularly a long-term sort of buy and hodler, and then somebody sells, that that creates a little bit of, this, what? And, and so you get more folks paying attention. Excel, what? Oh, did I hear sell? Wait, what? Uh, what's going on over here? Sell? Uh, and then this is where, where first you get anger. Uh, you get confusion and anger of, of, of folks. Wait, wait, no, this is, this is the opposite. And anytime you're in a cycle, and a cycle changes, the macroeconomic cycle switches or changes and shifts, or we're in a different position in it, emotions flare because it's different. Look, it is easy, I'll tell you, it is easy, 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 in 2011 to see why everybody didn't buy the dip. You know why everybody didn't buy the dip in 2011 on real estate? Because everybody thought real estate sucked. That's when you know you're getting closer to the bottom of a macroeconomic cycle. When everybody is telling you, oh, you're in real estate, that sucks, man, that's a tough market. I would go to Trader Joe's, and the people at Trader Joe's are like, real estate, man, Whew, tough market, man. Now I go to Trader Joe's, you know what they tell me? Dude, man, 
bought a house a couple years ago, up 200 grand, man. I don't really have to work here anymore. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Those are indicators of changes in where we are in the cycle. I don't know that filming this here on January 28th, my 30th birthday, that we are with certainty at the top of an economic cycle. But we have red flags that indicate we might be due for the turn in the cycle. No guarantees. We could always have manipulation in the market. But if we are at the top of a macroeconomic cycle, the pain could be outsized and last for a very long time. I'm going to talk about time in just a moment, but first, uh, and we're going to talk about sort of risk benefit analysis as well. But first, let's go back to, to psychology here. So once, uh, when, when the first people start selling, you know, when, when people are selling when everybody's buying, they're just an idiot bear, right? When, when somebody who's usually a bull turns to a bear and you have a, an inflection point, there's a lot of emotion not only that uh, comes from individuals watching uh, that person or paying attention to somebody. But there's also a lot of emotion that, that can come within that person. Like, for example, if, uh, if, if you change uh, directions because you start seeing massive uh, five-year, two-year macroeconomic changes and uh, you're concerned about a potential macroeconomic shift, then that's, that's a point where you're, it's almost like you have to reprogram all of what you've been doing. If you're, during the expansion cycle, let's, let's go back to that real estate cycle. During that real estate expansion cycle, you're like, your mentality is, okay, buy the dip on everything. Every fixer upper that comes up, I'm a buy, no second thought. And you program yourself to being on this side of the cycle. When you're on this side of the cycle, the programming is, it's automatic. It's buy the dip. Don't worry. Long-term investing rules. Uh, we we uh, you know no matter what it's it's going to end up uh, correcting uh, back to the upside. It'll be fine. Sell-offs are normal. Blah 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 blah. Right? You are programmed to buy when you are on this side, uh, especially hopefully when you're on the bottom half because you're in an expansionary cycle. When you get to a peak or a potential peak, or you believe, and this is the tough part, you believe you're at a peak. You have to reprogram all of that. You go from, hey, let's get the private jet. Let's go spend the money in Cabo. Let's buy everything. Buy the dip, man. Fed's always here for us. That changes to, uh-oh, we got to start paying attention to these red flags because they're indicative of a potential top. No guarantees, but they could be indicative of a potential macro top, not a short-term top. Not like, ah, things are selling off a little bit because of the election coming up or whatever, right? Ah, some data's bad, but don't worry. Uh, those red flags aren't that bad, right? Whatever. Like, we get through that. Over here, it's not like real estate was straight up either. I know I drew it kind of straight up, but it had vacillations, you know? Whatever. Uh, wasn't a big deal. The bigger issue is when you get confounding macro red flags. And we're going to talk about those again in just a second. Then, why, again, do we have emotion here? We have emotion at the peak because now, when you're at a potential peak, everything changes. The first thing that changes is you have to start programming into your own mind. Okay, look, I'm a big fan of guns and butter. I'm a big fan of saving money, but now I gotta ramp it up. Now I gotta save even more. Now we're gonna cut from our discretionary spending even more. Now we're gonna double down and work harder and build more cash and build more wealth as soon as we can 
just in case we do go into an extended bear market. See, folks miss this, and, and this is what's so, so critical, okay? People like to say, oh, well, I'm a long-run investor. I'm just investing for the long-term. Look at the, the S&P 500 over the long-term. It's basically like this. All the little gyrations are this. That's fine. That's totally true. But a problem that we run into when we look at a line like this, so we end up extending a massive you know, 80-year line like this and forgetting that missing one year, worst case, in a worst case scenario, if you missed one year, and this was the normal line, let's say you missed the year right here, maybe your returns from having been the same path might be slightly under that, right? <laughs> if you sat out, for example, a year or six months, like how much is the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 really gonna go to all-time new highs in 2022? Who knows? It could be a minus 1% year. It could be a plus 5% year. Okay, is, is that 5% worth the risk? And this is something you'd have to evaluate yourself, right? But anyway, what, what folks generally miss is not only evaluating your risk tolerance in the event that we are at the top of a cycle, uh, but the, the psychological pain of changing. So again, we are in, when we're in this part of the cycle, by the dip, by the dip, by the dip, everything's good, wind is at our back. Or in this part of the cycle, we everything we do changes. We become again hoarders, buy the dippers, cash hoarders. Okay, now before we keep going, we've we've got to address this right here. Take a look at this, right? If you invested in the S and P 500 right here in 1973, I kid you not, it would have taken 20 years for you to break even. If you would have invested right here during the dot com bubble, and maybe you even started buying the early dip it would take you about 14 years to break even. So yeah, people like to draw these average charts where they just draw a line and they say, oh, long run investing, long run investing, great, 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 always good. Yes, for the vast majority of folks, that is the easiest thing to do. But macroeconomic cycles do exist. And you've gotta ask yourself, if you think you are at a potential top in an economic cycle, is it worth just hodling maybe and not buying the dip because the first dip could just be the beginning of the dips, right? Look, look at the relative strength index. Hop on over to the S&P 500. People use this technical indicator wrong all the time and it drives me nuts. You go over to the S&P 500, look at the March of 2020 dip over here. Relative strength index right here. Uh, any, anything under this line means we're uh, oversold. Anything above the uh, yellow line here means we're overbought. And so folks like to say, oh yeah, yeah, buy when the, uh, when, when the RSI is below 30. Uh, that's a sign that we're oversold. And right now here, January 28th, we're in the oversold territory. The S&P 500 is down like what, 8% or whatever, right? Well, look at this, folks. The S&P was down 8%-ish, <laughs> 8 to 10% right here, and we were oversold according to the relative strength index. The downside is it sold off another 30% in the month thereafter. <laughs> and the only reason, this is the scary part, the only reason, and this is also gonna go back full circle to the red flags of our economic cycle, the only reason the market bottomed out was here on March 23rd, the Federal Reserve bailed us out. The Federal Reserve said they will bail us out. Now, I wanna, I wanna draw this on a real estate cycle with you, but first I gotta give you some examples here so you can believe this. Look at this. Stock market crashed. 
1987. You might have heard of that famous Monday. Stock market crashed in 2000. And I'm going to write the bottoms here, okay? Uh, well, no, I'm not going to write the bottoms. So the stock market crashed in 2000. Uh, stock market crashed in 2008. Stock market crashed briefly, briefly. In 2018, stock market crashed in 2020. These are your stock market crashes of the last, what is that, 35 years, okay? The stock market bottomed in 87 because the Federal Reserve came out and said, hey, we'll bail you out, don't worry. This was the first time the Fed did that. The, uh, usually it was Congress that would sort of have to bail markets out. This was really the first time. In 2000, dot-com bubble, massive euphoria. You know, that Excel phase, uh, or, or, or I should say rather that bye-bye-bye-bye phase uh, was, was quite frantic uh, in the cartoon here, which I don't even think we <laughs> got into that part of the cartoon yet. Right? But uh, see how Excel becomes, I can't take this madness anymore. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Right? This would be your confusion part of the market again, your bottom. Uh, and then bye, bye, bye. And then you get that euphoria again, right? Which turns into a sell. But anyway, uh, jump in over here. You get the euphoria of the dot-com bubble. <laughs> Jeez, this is ridiculous. The market bottoms in Q1 of 2003. Why did it bottom out? Because the Fed came in with massive interest rate reductions. So Fed bailout and discussions of continued support, whatever, because there's pain. Interest rates started going up again after two, three years because things started getting excessive again in 2005 and six. But anyway, Fed bailout. 2008, market crashed. When did it bottom? It bottomed in exactly February of 2009. Why? Because even though in 2008, Congress authorized $700 billion of spending, it wasn't until February of 2009 that the Federal Reserve authorized $1 trillion of bailout money. And that's when the market bottomed. Federal Reserve on December 19th of 2018 said, hey, you know what? We're not going to do three rate hikes next year. Instead, we're going to do two. That was a U-turn in the Federal Reserve's tendencies, and that led the market to go up. Within within a week, it started going up. It didn't go up quickly. It, it, it slowly bottomed and slowly started going back up. Important to keep in mind. In 2020, we bottomed out on March 23rd. Why did we bottom out? Because the Federal Reserve said we will print an unlimited amount of money, unlimited QE, right? So now what I want you to ask yourself is, if all of these years here are economic cycles, where are we in the Federal Reserve economic cycle right now? Well, let me ask you that. So let's draw, instead of the real estate cycle or the business cycle, let's draw the Federal Reserve cycle. This is the Federal Reserve cycle. Market crashes, market turns around. Folks, when does the market turn around? Uh, at the bottom. The market turns around at the bottom when the Fed bails us out. That's when the market turns around at the bottom. This is when we start ticking back up slowly and the Federal Reserve continues to accommodate the markets. This is an emotional spot because it's like, oh my gosh, we're getting bailed out. It's confusing. It's like, wait, does, does this mean buy? No, no, it's a false bottom. It's a double dip recession. Oh, no, 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 no. And you get people angry that other people are buying because it's like, no, it's a fake out. That emotion is really high at turning points. The, the most emotional times in investing are right there. 
That's when everybody's freaking out and mad at everybody else. It's also when mistakes are made in terms of, uh, you know, not not coming across potentially as crystal clear because, like, when we're when we're on this turning point, it it, it can happen so quickly that we're like, um, okay, wow, this was a really quick change. We gotta adapt to this in a business cycle. Time to start cutting back. Time to start saving money. You know, that's a quick change on families and people can get mad and people can get upset. It's normal though at these periods within a cycle. And so what, what is the top? Well, historically, it's when the Fed tightens or begins to tighten. Uh, however, this has to be coupled with, and this is, this is crystal clear. This is like, I shouldn't say crystal clear. This is critical. Fed tightens in exuberant market. See, the Federal Reserve talked about tightening in 2013 and started tightening in 2016. The market didn't crash. Why did the market not crash? Because everything was pretty chill. We were clearly uh, at, at more of this phase of the cycle, you know, 2013, uh, 2016 was really over here. How did we know we were at these levels? Well, because we didn't have massive glaring red flags that would indicate we're in an exuberant market and uh, the Federal Reserve needs to tighten. The Federal Reserve was not saying in 2013 or 2016 that, oh, uh, valuations are excessively high. You know what they were saying? We need to keep making sure we accommodate the economy because we want this expansion to be broad-based and help people of different races and sexes and make sure that everybody can enjoy this economic recovery, which we're finally starting to see. So the Federal Reserve's tone was, hey, we, we still got to accommodate. Yeah, we're going to raise rates a little bit, but we still got to accommodate. That's why the market actually did well during those rate height cycles, right? Because the economy was not overly hot. What is the Federal Reserve telling us right now? They are, they're, they're so clear about this. I don't understand why people don't understand this. They're telling us a few things. Number one, they're telling us they don't care about the stock market. That what they care about is inflation and maximum employment. So in other words, if prices go down, that's not our problem. That's not the Fed's problem is what they're saying. They're also telling us that what you have uh, is a situation of massive inflation with excessive valuations. They believe that excessive valuations lead to more risk in the economy. Why? Because excessive valuations ultimately mean that risk goes up. People take on more debt. Debt becomes more burdensome. If debt becomes more burdensome, uh, then the risk of bankruptcy goes up. And if that spreads throughout the entire economy, then it's entirely possible that the market could uh, not just correct, but crash and lead to the loss of faith in the United States dollar. And that is the most important thing that the Federal Reserve can try to preserve is the full faith and credit of the United States. So no, they don't care about the stock market to the extent that it doesn't affect uh, uh, jobs negatively. And quite frankly, so what if the market corrects? There's still plenty of time right now where people are like, oh, no, there's plenty of hiring going on. It doesn't really matter. S&P's down 10% or oh, whatever, right? It doesn't matter. So the Fed tightens in exuberant markets. Right here, January 28th, 2022, <laughs> we have the Federal Reserve telling us valuations are excessive. Not only are valuations excessive, but we don't care about the stock market. We care about getting inflation down. And see, that's the big red flag that we have right now is inflation was thought to get better in 2022 and the big U-turn, and it, I tell you, it comes fast. This is where people are like, oh my gosh, how do you change your mind so quickly? Oh, it's flip-flop this. Uh. Folks, 
when we got hit in the face with the minutes of the December meeting from the Federal Reserve, and we combined that with the latest stat on inflation and earnings calls that inflation was getting worse, not better, and inflation was broadening, we know we have a massive red flag. And so the question is, when we have a massive red flag and the Federal Reserve is telling us this, how are we gonna get, how could we say we're here? How could we actually expect to go to higher valuations? Well, we can't until the Fed U-turns. And so folks are wondering, Kevin, what are you doing right now in a macroeconomic cycle change? Well, we know the best thing to do in a larger change that could last years is obviously uh, to build cash by whatever means necessary and be prepared to buy over here. You can only buy the bottom when you have money. You cannot buy the bottom of the market. And I'm telling you, you can't even buy the bottom half of the market when you have no money. All the people who wanted to buy homes in 2010 who didn't build up cash during 2007 and the beginning of 2008, all those folks were not able to buy homes cheap because they potentially got wiped out. They didn't clean up their debt. They didn't reduce their spending. They didn't build cash. Now, the people who just bought and hodled, that's fine. For I would say 90 plus percent of investors, that's fine. If we draw an average of, of uh, stock prices, you're good. You sat through four or five years of pain or potentially more depending on when you bought. You had to sit through that. But sure, as long as you got, as long as you were more exposed to the market than not, you did well, it's fine. Time corrects all sins. And so this is where you have to ask yourself, are you willing to bet on your belief of the macroeconomic cycle. But if you're wrong, you gotta get back in quickly. And so this is dangerous and risky. So you have to ask yourself what you want to put yourself through. What kind of stress do you wanna put yourself through? Do you believe that the red flags indicate we are at the top of an economic cycle? If they are, there's no harm in taking profits and preparing even if that means having to take some losses. Like for example, let's say this is what your net worth did over the last uh, you know, 10 years or whatever, and all of a sudden your net worth went down like 20%. And it's like, oh my gosh, but I don't wanna sell because I used to be here. Okay, well if you believe the trajectory for the next five years is that, <laughs> then, then potentially if you could avoid that fall here and have more cash to buy, you could actually extrapolate your wealth more. Now, I wanna be critically clear. This is all risky. And if you're wrong about timing the macroeconomic cycle, you gotta make sure you get back on Train America. Otherwise, Train America is gonna leave you behind. Now, I wanna give you exactly what my thoughts are right now as of January 20th, 2020. First of all, I have no freaking idea when we are going to get a U-turn in inflation data, that is the red flag goes away, or Jerome Powell U-turns, I have no idea. But if we got a U-turn and that red flag went away, I need to get back in the market because I gotta be long Train America. I can't bet against Train America my whole life. I will get left behind. I will get screwed selling uh, and, and not being in the market. You will get screwed being out of the market for the long term. But... But, 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 if you see massive red flags that indicate we are on a downward trajectory that is potentially likely to continue, 
then it is entirely appropriate to say, I believe we're at the top of an economic cycle. I'm going to sell, even if I've already taken a little bit of a haircut. I'm going to wait on the sidelines until I get evidence that being at the top of the economic cycle is over. And potentially that is when there is actually blood on the streets, when people are really freaking out, right? Uh, and that's when you buy. You don't have to be perfectly in the bottom. Remember, you don't have to time it perfectly. You just have to be at the bottom half of the darn cycle. You don't want to be at the top half of the cycle. And you got to ask yourself, are we at the top half or are we at the bottom half? <laughs> I think it's pretty damn obvious where we are. Uh, but anyway, there's been a lot of question about uh, emotions involved in this. Uh, and the top and bottoms are always emotional because we're changing directions, we're changing strategies. And when it comes to the psychology of money, no matter whether it's real estate or stocks, you've got to ask yourself, do I want to play the economic cycle or am I willing to potentially sit upside down for four or five years? You almost certainly will be positive again in the future. Almost certainly. But are you willing to hold through that? And either way, you've got to determine or is, is the risk of being out of the market worth it? Because when you get a turn, sometimes it can happen fast. Sometimes you can get a rebound very, very quickly. So keep that in mind. Uh, usually the turns uh, do take more time because people regularly think that they're just fake out rallies. So it, it, it takes quite a bit of time. I would say at least uh, in the stock market, uh, U-turns could take, quite frankly, six months. You're not gonna get the best pricing as if you time the market perfectly at the bottom, but, but uh, that's, that's generally unrealistic. You just do your best and wait for U-turns in the macroeconomic cycle. So I hope this helps uh, on the macroeconomic cycle. And folks, we'll see you in the next one. Quick append, it's also worth noting that in Japan, you could have invested in the 90s and still not be break even. Uh, but I do want to just provide uh, thoughts You've uh, on, on resources. Like, how do you know uh, that the economic, the, the macro indicators are shifting? You got to pay attention to what actually moves markets. Right now, that's the Federal Reserve, but it doesn't always have to be the Federal Reserve. There are other things that can move markets. Uh, there are things that move markets short term, and there are things that move uh, markets long term. Short term would be more like your daily kind of news cycle. Oh, war here, or you know, geopolitical tensions here, saber rattling here, blah 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 blah. blah right. That that creates your sort of daily ups and downs, your daily fluctuations. Macro, you're usually looking at uh, indicators of GDP, indicators of recession, uh, the inverted yield curve. Uh, you're looking at what the Federal Reserve is doing. Are they blowing wind at your back or are they providing headwinds? Uh, those are critical, uh, very, very critical. You don't want the yield curve to invert. Uh, that is the sign of the bond market pricing and the potential for a recession coming uh, as uh, short-term bonds are more expensive or provide higher yields than long-term bonds, which is bizarre. Uh, you, you, um, you really got to pay attention to the Fed. You should become a student of the Federal Reserve. If you want to time macroeconomic cycles, you should be a student of the Federal Reserve. Absolutely critical. Uh, and uh, reading a lot about the Federal Reserve, studying prior crashes, huge. I think one of the things that they should do in schools is not teach like ancient history, like Egypt and stuff like that. They should teach like market history, <laughs> that would be the best history, like studying all the different crashes. Uh, but like in detail, you know, it's like now we're doing Egypt, now we're doing Iran, why? Uh, you know, Persia or whatever, no, why? Mesopotamia, come on, man. Teach something that's useful. Anyway, thank you.